Welcome to Spirited Word. By God's Word proclaimed, the Holy Spirit works faith in God's grace in Jesus, when and where He pleases. Sermons by Pastor Adrian Kitson, Lutheran Church of Australia. God's Word is written in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 to 10. This is Paul speaking in a funny kind of way. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. And I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. So a question for you to begin. What do you do when you are mostly misunderstood by someone, misjudged to be a weak person, your work to be fairly unimportant, and your contribution to be of minimal value to the community. What do you do? Do you come out swinging, or do you escape into the shadows? In this last part of the second letter to the Corinthians, it's really clear that the Corinthians have considered Paul to be quite weak, and probably actually of minimal value to them, in their humble opinion. Uh, Some have misjudged him, there's factions. Uh, Some have misunderstood him and some have miscalculated his value to Jesus' project of bringing the new kingdom to life right in the old one. And in so doing, they show that really they've actually missed the whole point and they've missed God's new creation and how he goes about it. In fact, they've gone back to the old creation 
judging everything by performance, by strength, by winning, by beauty and by power. But Paul doesn't come out swinging and he doesn't escape into the shadows. He speaks in a very particular way. He boasts, in inverted commas, that the word he uses, but not of his great power or status, but of his weakness and God's power. And he does this on at least three different fronts. Number one, he can say legitimately to these Corinthian Gentiles, I'm more connected to God and his promises than all of you. Are my opponents Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Number two, Paul has worked harder and suffered more than all of them put together. Are they servants of Christ? I'm more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a whole night and a day in open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, from bandits, from my fellow Jewish people, from Gentiles like you Corinthians. I've been in danger in the city and in the country and at the sea, in danger from false believers. I've laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for you and all the churches I've planted. Hmm. Number three, Paul, as we heard in our text, has experienced high and lofty spiritual moments with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit that would put even the most spiritually gifted Corinthian in the shade. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I couldn't even tell. Only God knows. Caught up to paradise, heard inexpressible things that I can't repeat. And then this really strange little bit that he adds on to the end of his credentials. In Damascus, where he was knocked off his horse and converted by a living encounter with the living Jesus. Remember that one? Way back at the beginning. In Damascus, the governor under King Aratus had the city of the Damascenes guarded, the whole city guarded, in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from the window in the wall and slipped through his hands out of the city. Hold that thought. We'll come back to conquering walls in a moment. Whatever way you look at it, Paul is highly credentialed in this gospel mission of Jesus. You know, he's like a teacher with decades of experience entering the classroom of a first-year teacher. 
Or he's like a wily old man of the land, a farmer, who enters the conversation circle of the young bucks at the field day. And he could use his experience as power. And he could use his experience to look really good and control the conversation and convince himself and all everybody else that'll listen, I still got it. He could do that. But he knows it would be a big fat lie. So instead, what does he do? He tells them the truth. He tells the truth of what it actually has been to live this life in the gospel of Jesus. But not to hold it over them in power. Not to look good. He says he boasts, not really, of his suffering and his heritage and his spiritual experience to give them the opportunity to enter the permanent things that really matter, God's life and blessing. He wants to help them know the permanent things so they can move beyond the temporary things that you can just see with your eyes. He wants them to see the permanent things of God you can only know and see in the heart. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, he says, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen, temporary, rather than what is in the heart, permanent. So Paul tells his story not to look good or maintain power over people, but to encourage faith in Jesus. That's what he's doing. His goal is that people would be proud of his work and know his suffering and his great spiritual experience so they could continue in the project with Jesus, his new creation coming in the old. He wants them to join him, to praise God for the gospel, to work with him, to continue to work together in this good news life. But friends, it is oh so difficult for us to get it. Let's go back to the wall and the city in Damascus. In Damascus, I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. For the Corinthians hearing that, this would scream weak, coward, loser, just like we thought, Paul. See, in their city of Corinth, courage, bravery, achievement, winning was the goal of life. You know that one listed one's life achievements in full public view at the front of your house, etched in stone or marble for all to see for all time. Example, if you were a civil engineer who worked for the water company for 20 years and helped design the sewage system, that would be listed as your great achievements, one of your achievements on, in stone, in marble. Or, if you're a local government official, a proconsul or a consul, this would be a big, big item on your list, dates of your public office and rule. E.g., even more, if you served in the military, well, that would be especially marked, maybe gold-rendered, I don't know, rank, dates, battles, and most importantly, medals. Okay, and the highest honour of all in the city? Ah, 
Ben Roberts Smith, the Victoria Cross, in the War Memorial in Canberra. This was reserved for the military person who showed the most bravery in the most dangerous moment that meant the most for the victory of Rome, Roma Victoria, in a siege battle of a city. What is that moment and who is that person? The first man, woman, usually man, over the wall. The first man over the wall. And guess what it was called? The Corona Moralis. Yes, Corona. Crown. The crown of the wall. Surely Paul adds this weird little bit to the end of his credentials to show the Corinthians something they need to see. He declares with pride that he is the exact opposite of a Ben Robert Smith. Nothing against Ben. When under siege, he was not the great first one over the wall. He was the first one that trickled away in retreat to escape the wall. He's a dead opposite of the greatness that the Corinthians are after. Paul is like the person applying for a job who lists all the reasons why he's not good enough for the job with a glint in his eye and a smile and great confidence, not in himself, but in his existing employer, God. He's boasting of all the wrong things. It's a reverse corona moralis. Amazing. He's boasting of all the wrong things to show them all the God things. He boasts of weak human suffering because he knows that most of the time you and I struggle to trust that God's grace is enough. It's enough for us in our pain, our doubts, our suffering, our questions, our failures, our guilt, our fear, our hard times, our ill health and our worry about the future. I actually still believe that I'm enough most days of the week. And I spend a lot of time relying on my own craftiness, sufficiency, performance, intellect, understanding, wisdom to get by day by day. He knows this. And this, of course, leads to one of two places, absolute despair. I'm actually not good enough. Sometimes I realise this. And then I realise even worse that I never will be good enough for God or life, no matter how hard, how hard I try. So I'll give up living in this new creation and I'll go back to Egypt. At least we had leek soup there. It was, you know, we could eat something decent. Or the other place it leads to is frustration with the world and with the church and especially with God for not noticing my good effort to be good enough for his goodness. So what do I do then? I power on boasting to myself and anybody else that will listen long enough, I am good enough. God's the problem. It's not me. And then, in a final twist, right at the end, there's an act of love that's exceedingly uncomfortable, but nevertheless an act of love. Jesus sends me, as he did for Paul, and I suspect that he's doing for you a what? A thorn. He sends a thorn. 
Why so? To keep me from being conceited, puffed up with pride and arrogance. To keep me honest. To render my goodness never good enough. And his goodness always complete and good enough. To render my weakness the very ground in which he cultivates his new kingdom life in me. Who would have thought? So whether you're fighting or flighting, despairing or boasting, sure you are a winner or feeling like a loser, Jesus sends you the thorn to show you he's not a loser. His perfection, his complete undeserved presence and promises are yours in any day. He allows my weakness and sends me things that make me weak. He does that. To show me and those around me that anything good I do or say or achieve or whatever actually is him. It is not I that live, but Christ in me. It's all him. So I would say, friends, it would be time to open the drawers and the wardrobes and burn your spandex. Get rid of it. If God had any model of what it is to be a superhero in this life, in this new creation kingdom, it would not be someone in spandex like Superman or Batman or any of the Marvel characters in the movies. In fact, here's what I think, and I got this from a friend of mine this week. If God has a superhero in his new creation kingdom to call us to be like, if it was anybody, it would not be someone wearing spandex like Superman. Guess who I think it would be? Mr. Bean. I think that would be God's version of who to follow in the kingdom. No spandex, no big body, no big voice, no big car, no big guns, no power, just a teddy and a little suitcase and a few words and a lot of embarrassing mistakes. So let's burn the spandex. Let's not go for the corona moralis. It's a waste of time. For we live by faith in the permanent, not by sight in the temporary for we preach, what we preach is not ourselves ever, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as mere servants for his sake. In the name of Christ, amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for our life without spandex, our life to not be a superhero, but for you to be our life, our whole life, Help us, we need help, to trust you that you're enough. Your grace is sufficient for even this particular problem we're facing, this relationship, this conflict, this lack of clarity, this overwork, this underwork, this uh, challenging time of coronavirus, etc., etc. You say your grace is sufficient in all of it in all of it. Help us trust that so that we can laugh in the face of um, people who criticise us that we're weak and we're this and we're that. We don't care because we work for someone else. We're on someone else's team. Uh, we are in your presence and in your promises every day of the week. So help us trust that. 
especially those of us who might be struggling at this time. Help us reach out for help and find a friend, find someone to help us see what Pearl helps us to see. So we commend ourselves and all who are listening into your hands. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the Lord saying to you on this moment, in this moment, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So go ahead, well, boast, sort of, not for power or control, but for encouragement. Boast all the more gladly of your weaknesses, so that the power of Jesus may be even more highly displayed in your life among your friends. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our kind and loving Heavenly Father, and the fellowship and the power and the belonging of the Holy Spirit be with you. Go in Christ's peace. Amen. Thanks for listening. Pastor Adrian serves at St. Petri Lutheran Church, New York, Barossa Valley, South Australia. stpetri.org.au